There's a difference between arguing for women's ordination on that basis and arguing for it on the basis of prejudice, bigotry, and liberation. When you argue for it on those bases, then you have taken a step outside of Orthodox Christianity and you've taken a step into revolutionary ideology. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here once again with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Yeah, doing well, Nick. Yeah, I just had some minor, they say, outpatient surgery yesterday and did not, out of fear, look at my incisions until just about an hour ago, and man... <laughs> It's amazing what they can do to you and send you home on the same day. I'm cutted like a fish over here. <laughs> what is the worst surgery that you have ever had? I had like my ankle reconstructed because I played Ooh. I played basketball in high school and I oh, broke I thought you were going to go up. with like an Air National Guard parachuting injury. That would have been better. No, that would have been cool. That's what you should go with no, yeah, yeah, it was an old basketball injury that I had. So I had to, I had to have my old ankle reconstructed, and it was terrible, awful. So, but I do like, I do like anesthesia. <laughs> I wish they would administer anesthesia for more things. Like, well, you can uh, ask. You'd be surprised at how many people will give you like nitrous, <laughs> like my dentist. And dentist, I've just started using nitrous at dentist offices, and it's like changed my life. Although I've, I worried about it in the last church I was in because they were parishioners of mine, and I was wondering if they could asked me some very personal questions that I didn't want to answer, but I would be loose-lipped a little bit. Um, but I had a surgery, Nick knows, who lived through it with me. I had a mm. big jaw, jaw surgery where they refigured. It's Most people who've known me for a long time don't didn't, it, it wasn't sort of cosmetically significant, um, although Liza noticed, and Nick probably did too. Oh, yeah. It was a, um, it was a um, yeah, they like took off my top of my, jaw and like moved it <laughs> forward about two centimeters and again one of the these quote with... routine surgeries which just <laughs> means right, that they do it with... a lot it's not routine to you yeah i have like a titanium belt down both sides <laughs> of my face which i can feel vibrating every now and then when i pump up the volume in my car and let the bass just roll out <laughs> and um but uh yeah they sent me home after i was only in the house for 24 hours they're like you, you know keep taking your ibuprofen yeah. and uh wear this and wrap your head in cold compress for the next six months and you'll be fine <laughs> jd jd strained our friendship by sending me a selfie from the table immediately following the surgery it was one of the more horrifying texts i've ever received <laughs> well it's amazing i think in modern medicine indeed. In the body indeed well, guys, um, the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention is next week in Louisiana. We're actually planning to have a great guest on the week following that to give us a recap of what goes on. Uh, but the big issue headed into convention is Saddleback Church and Rick Warren's continued scorched earth campaign to reform the SBC. Saddleback, as we talked on episode 140, has several women functioning as pastors, a role explicitly forbidden to them in the Baptist faith and message, the confessional statement of the denomination. So last year, Saddleback was disfellowshipped from the SBC over that issue. They've now appealed, and their appeal will come to the floor at next week's annual meeting. Now, Warren's argument for women pastors seems to be a pragmatic one. He claims that it works. The great Charles Stanley, for instance, as Warren reminded <laughs> us in a recent tweet, was converted by the preaching of a woman. 
The other odd thing about this campaign of his is that as far as I can tell, Warren spent his entire ministerial career hiding the fact that Saddleback was an SBC congregation or at least not promoting it. And now we have this. So what do you guys make of this? What can we expect to see next week? And how does it relate to what's happening in the ACNA world? Uh, You know, Rick Warren, it's interesting. I I had a prisoner who came to Good Shepherd um, who had read in the Book of Mormon a line that said, go back to the Good Shepherd. Hmm. He was raised a Good Shepherd, but he read in the Book of Mormon this like this this line. So he said, oh, that must be God telling me to go back to Church of the Good Shepherd. So he comes back to our church and he comes to faith and he attributes, he attributes his conversion to this moment of reading this one line, the Book of Mormon, that telling him to go uh, to go back to his, to his home church and he heard the gospel uh, there and he believed. So, I mean, that's about as, that's about as, that's, so it would be like me saying, okay, well, we should now consider Mormons, you know, it's hypocritical of us not to recognize that uh, Mormons are also Christians because here my parishioner heard or the hand gospel. Or stand on the street corner and uh, hand out the Book of Mormon. Yeah, right. Because, hey, God, yeah, God, God works through it. So um, that's a disingenuous and, and ridiculous argument. And most of the arguments I've heard him make so far have yeah. been but have been fairly weak sauce. I remember <laughs> when I was a young guy – I was a youth minister and way back in the day, way back in the day. And there were all these like purpose driven things coming out. Yeah. There was like a yeah, I mean, that 40 days of purpose. And I bought that. Driven. I bought into that hard, hard purpose. Yeah. Driven purpose. I bought into the purpose driven youth ministry. Mm-hmm. I think it was called. Uh, and and yeah. Hey, it was, it was effective. It worked. The, the, the method worked. We are, are you, I went in, I, I prefer the aimless and disorganized. But I think it worked because there were some, there were some basic organizational principles that were help, that were helpful and effective, but, um, but it wasn't until later I, I started reexamining some of his stuff just based on what the Bible says, and you see, you know, he it, a lot of what he was leading people to think and 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 do in about the church and in the church were really just they they could have been taken from you know management manuals, and and he would use scripture to try to bolster these kind of secular practices and, and norms and, and not and not i'm sorry i, I say use scripture he used so use scripture in the most selective possible way you, you could right. i mean if he couldn't find if he was using like the niv and he couldn't find the passage that say the right thing in the niv he would switch over to the message he would, <laughs> over, he, he, would try, he would try and find the version the english version that said what he wanted it to say and he would use it um, it was well, you know, really, that's really... a little bit, I, I don't know the direct connection, but, but it's, it, you know, he certainly was part of what has now become a fairly clear divide in my mind, at least between sort of the theological uh, emphasis of the church and the the emphasis on leadership, quote unquote leadership, you know, because there seemed to be a whole movement of people that, that essentially took corporate business principles, you know, which are, which are nothing wrong in and of themselves for the most part, but just simply began emphasizing those over against, um, you know, supposedly divisive doctrinal uh, emphases and statements. And you see this even in his argumentation, which I didn't realize there was even a whole website uh, devoted to this. Um, But, you know, he says we're united in mission, if not theology, which is just, you know, again, as old, um, it's hard not to just hear basically my entire adult Christian life you know, reflected in, in that sort of sigh of kind of cynical pragmatism, which is at the heart of that, because um, the idea that somehow 
we, we talked at length before that the unity is found just simply in you know what we do together versus what we confess together is just um it goes contrary to the explicit teaching of jesus much less uh the the sort of the uh, well, that's that's all you should say about that. But then we see throughout all of church history that that's just never actually the case. That unity comes, you know, as a result of shared confession, not as a result of shared "quote unquote" mission. Yeah, I, I do remember during the, the split up in the Episcopal Church that that's one of the things that those who are arguing for remaining together were saying. Um, let's let's be we we are engaged in common mission. And in fact, I mean, not to turn the subject away from Rick Warren, but the. But what, the, it did take us long. It did take us long. <laughs> I, I, this is going to wind its way back to recording. But Justin Welby's article in the, in the Virginia Diocese, Diocesan newspaper back in 2012, talking about how why the communion can stay together, we use that very argument. We we could we 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 have different views on sexuality, but we can we can link hands and walk across the That's bridge right. to the world, sharing the gospel together. Well, that was um, what that was what the supposedly courageous stance of the bishop of Texas came out. Remember when him and he and Jim Baker yeah. came out with that supposed consensus document? I forget what it was. It was right right about the same time. It was like you know, as Episcopalians, we were like yeah. somehow uniquely gifted to to essentially um, walk together in disagreement. You know, that was going to be our, our gift to the world. As if, as, if Habitat, I mean, <laughs> as if Habitat for Humanity had never existed. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> what else is there other than like, you know, we'll get the local temples, the imam and the priest, and the, uh, we'll get them all to build a house together. And that'll be a picture of unity to the world. It's like, well, it's good to build houses, perhaps, but that is a, a confusing picture if we're, not, if we're not careful. You know, and I think that's where... That's where yeah. the people in the SBC that are pushing back are saying, you know, I read one article that said like you're, you're you know, it's not like there aren't Baptist conventions that that have this difference of opinion on women in ministry. You know, so what what is the insistence uh, on trying to force the hand of the SBC, particularly if you supposedly had been a member in good standing and taking, you know, following the prescriptions uh, for the past 23 years? Um, you know, why now and why the fervor uh, except to sort of capitalize on a cultural moment that, you know, that is is trying to discredit uh, traditional teaching on this area and and um, expose it all as this sort of, you know, green eyed patriarchal monster. And it's um, it's just fascinating, like you intimated in the beginning, Nick, like how long has he been? crossing his fingers as a Southern Baptist, you know, in good conscience, you know, how long do you have to stay in a denomination that you evidently can't abide that one of the, it's one of the most hot button uh, cultural stances they take among many. That, that's what would be, I don't know, concerning, but at least disappointing to me is that there had to be a long time that this came, there was, there was many years before this came up and, and to watch it play out now is really, is really, um, well, disappointing, to put it lightly. It's it's actually interesting. I'm I'm sympathetic to what you're saying. I'm actually not sure if it's been an issue for him for so long because of the cultural um, mm. congruity of all of these denominations and structures. Either all of a sudden, coincidentally, finally reading the Bible properly now in the last say fifty years at most, or it's a reaction to the, how the culture has changed. And they're just changing with it. So I'm not sure that anybody, well, I don't know about anybody, but I'm sure there are a lot who have, as long as the culture was tolerant of their views, were fine to hold them. But now mm -hmm. that the culture says that if you don't make a woman a pastor, you're a misogynist, they're all of a sudden not fine to yeah. hold that view. 
And just so you know, yeah. the uh, there's nine languages this website's been translated into, um, in case you're wondering, just uh, so comprehensive. Sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to interrupt you. The Rick Warren anti-SBC website? Mm-hmm. No, but it's, it's, it is interesting. He's he's If you watch the video, he put a video out um, to explain his position to his church, and he's appealing to if you if you have a Baptist friend or friends, you know that one of the things that Baptists tend to believe is that is that they don't while they believe the content of the Nicene Creed, um, a lot of them, most of them, many of them, will not say the creed because they they feel like it's putting a it's no putting creed a, but Christ a, a, no creed yeah it's putting a, it's putting a layer of authority over and above the scriptures that they whereas we would say it's just articulating what the scriptures say but, but the Latins won't in principle say it. Right. And, and there's a historic, it's kind of a historic position the Baptists take. They, they value independence as far as their congregational structure, their, their, their polity goes. So they, they value having um, congregational autonomy and independence from the, the overarching structure. And all of that's kind of been resistant. It, it goes way back. Historically, reaction against, you know, against some of the magisterial, magisterial Protestant churches. What was dishonest, I think, about Rick Warren's position, he's kind of, he's kind of picking up on that, right? He's picking up on that traditionalist Baptist way of thinking about things, and 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 portraying himself as an ally of this like historic, the the historic way that Baptists have always thought about church and tra- tradition and history and and we're we've never Baptists Baptists never have done creeds. Right? We're we're old the old. Old paths, Baptists never do uh, these kind of and here he is promoted. The reason he's doing that though is to promote something that none of the people <laughs> in the past would ever have found right. conscionable, right? So he's 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 taking these he's he's taking the shell of of Baptist traditionalism and taking that shell and clothing his radical view of women in the church, which no Baptist very except for the liberal ones would have would have re- received earlier. It's a very, it's a, it's a fundamentally dishonest thing. It's, it's um, a little bit like when the, okay, okay I'm going to make another analogy to the Episcopal Church, but it's a bit <laughs> like when, when, the, when the Episcopal Church uh, authorities tried to use the phrase in our ordination oh. vows uh, that we will, we will, we will uphold the faith as this church receives them. That's right. That's right. Right. But we, we proud, we, 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 we've all, we all vowed to uphold the, the doctrines of the Christian faith as the Episcopal Church received them. With, of course, the understanding that that reception was orthodox, right, <laughs> right. But then, uh, but then, then they'll, they'll, they'll play the, uh, the the shell game, and then underneath one of the shells, they'll stick all their heretical doctrine. Oh, and now this is how the church is receiving it now. So you are now obligated as you're vowed or do what the Episcopal Church is doing. Same kind of thing here with Rick Warren. He's it's really ugly and dishonest way of arguing for this thing to to appeal to Baptist tradition. And it seems explicitly to be pitting a piece of scripture against the rest of the scriptures. He continually refers to the Great Commission that we have to go and make disciples. And he says, how can you be stopping these women who are clearly making disciples from doing this important work? And of course, that's not only a straw man argument, but it's also saying that the Great Commission is somehow in conflict with the Pauline epistles, et cetera. Yeah, well, it's also, you know, it's a pragmatic argument that, that, and it's not, I'm I'm completely unsurprised that Rick Warren, of all people, would let pragmatics determine doctrine. Whatever works is what he, for him, 
I think probably the, the that that is that is the norma normans. Whatever he's, whatever he's works. Consistently is, referring to the shrinking our, SBC, and this is, is what one of the determines reasons what why. truth is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so hey, if if women are effective at preaching the gospel, if they're effective at bring at bringing people in, then uh, then therefore, therefore God has appointed them to be pastors, and you're standing in God's in God's way. But again, God's not a pragmatist. He's never been a pragmatist. Um, he, he, if, he, if God were a pragmatist, there's no way that Jesus would have chosen the 12 men that he chose. He would have chosen some much more, much more, much more, power, some powerful speakers, some good scholars, some nobles. He would not have picked the 12 men he picked. And you go way um, back he, before that, he picked a hundred year old man and his 90 year old wife who was barren. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, I just still can't keep getting, I mean, I'm just looking at this website still. I mean, as followers of Christ, he writes, we're never going to achieve unity on doctrine, but we can achieve unity on mission. And, you know, to a certain degree, I, I agree with that. If you're talking about denominational differences, you know, like right. I can partner yeah. with a, with a, with a Presbyterian and with a Methodist and with a Baptist and we can, you know, have a, have a you know day of christian unity prayer for christian unity in good conscience and that and there's a certain expediency to that but the problem we have here is that he is not simply bowing out and saying um you know i changed my mind or i no longer have this conviction and i'm gonna go join the independent baptist or the cooperative baptist or wherever the other baptists are or start i mean goodness he's he's yeah, ordained his own people he said he could start his own denomination but instead, and this is what gets to, I think, a little bit of overlap with ACNA, is he's he's a, he's a man on a mission. Like he's not he's not content with allowing for the disagreement. He actually wants them to change uh, their teaching because he has come to the conviction that it's not just it's not one of a distinctives that he no longer holds, but it is in fact an error. And I think that's. That is poisonous if you are trying to have those two competing viewpoints under the same denominational flag. And we've experienced that. Um, and we are currently um, at least seeing echoes of that within the ACNA regarding all sorts of different issues, but not the least of which, um, as we've talked about before, um, this particular issue with respect to women's ordination and kind of the role of uh, sort of the traditional teaching and things like this. And, you know, there are people who are very hostile to those in the church who do not hold their position on this issue, even though, you know, the compromise that has been set out before us is, is well, just that, a compromise. And so, you know, we said this before, but it bears repeating in light of this, is that Rick Warren is more than welcome to, and I've seen him invited by people, you know, high up in the SBC to say, listen, you know, we're not de-Christianizing you. You know, we're not trying to, to argue that you somehow are this like, you know, seven-headed heretic that needs to be um, called out. But we, this is what we believe. And if you no longer believe it, well, then you're welcome to, to make other arrangements. And I think, you know, when I think about the ACNA and some of the very difficult compromises in certain areas that we've made, nevertheless, for the sake of an actual unified church, which does have doctrinal cohesion along a lot of these lines, um, you know, it's, it's you want to invite some of the these voices, and I won't name names, but, you know, you can see them, you know, even some anonymously on Twitter, who seem to have a, a lot of antipathy towards the people in the ACNA with whom they disagree. And it goes both ways. You know, we've talked about this before, whether people who, who can't abide by certain positions of diocese with regards to women over against the other on both sides, the left and the right. And, you know, there's a, there's a seeming type of status or, or place of integrity to say, if I literally cannot abide this in my conscience as a presbyter or as a layperson in this church with these people with whom I disagree, then perhaps you should, 
you should consider finding another denomination, you know, one that, that more fully supports your position, because this is just a, a precursor of what, you know, some of the underground conversations that are taking place in our own denomination. This could be, we, we could easily see this, you know, five, 10 years from now, where we have people that have been subtly and slowly um, campaigning, you know, for their particular position behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden it went from, oh, I'm a person in good standing to I've, I've marshaled enough votes to to try to, um, you know, take over a diocese or take over, yeah, the, you it, know, and it's again, I mean, not to be not to be a conspiracy theorist, but this is this is how well, that happens. Right. Well, that, it, it's OK. That I think that's right. Think about think about the appeals process. Like if you say <clears throat> say you're charged with promoting sacrificing goats on the altar. Right. And that which would be, you know, you shouldn't sacrifice goats on the altar. Or, or, or I saw Matt Kennedy sacrificing a goat in the altar. Right. Um, and then they have two witnesses and I'm convicted and I. I'm defrocked, right? If I'm going to appeal that process, I've got to prove that I really didn't sacrifice goats in the altar, right? I've got to, I've got to show that that didn't happen, and then I, then my appeals will be my appeal will be successful. If my appeal is, well, the whole idea that we can't sacrifice goats in the altar is totally ridiculous. We should undo that rule. Then I'm trying to destroy the denomination. That's should, right. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes, and that's kind of what Rick Warren is doing. He's instead of saying. Oh no! I, this is all wrong. I, I totally. I am in conformity with with the Southern Baptist Convention on with regard to women's bat women pastors, which is what they tried to do initially. You remember, they were like, "Oh no, they're not pastors. They're like right. community, like prayer facilitators or something." And that was the initial yeah. attack they took. Um, it's, it sounds a lot like you know they're not really married. This is a civil partnership. You know, don't worry, don't worry. We're never going to actually change the doctrine yeah. of marriage. Yeah. Um, and that's again, that's where I want to just invite. You know, I think it's it's embarrassing to watch, not because. I am unaware of the fact that people would disagree with the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, that's not that's a given. You don't have to spend long um, in on Wikipedia or on the Internet to know that there are a lot of people upset with the, a lot of stances the Southern Baptist take. So that's not the problem. But what's embarrassing is that this is being proffered as an actual sort of good faith argument, um, as opposed to, like you said, what it is, Matt, is an obvious attempt to, you know, by a by a particularly powerful church, you know, say what you want about how laid back it is. I mean, it's an enormous entity, you know, with thousands of people yeah. and lots of money and resources. And it's, you know, he's the one who thinks, you know, if you, if you were backing this change for the SBC, you're like, we got our guy, you know, we've got our, our one big shot that could do it. And, um, you know, and I, I have a lot of sympathy. For, we have a lot of friends in the Southern Baptist Convention, as you know, we've had some on the show, you know, and I hear in their appeals, you know, basically just a a sense of like, could you just leave us alone? You know, like we, we, we haven't changed. We haven't do anything. Like we're not trying to provoke you. We, we were, we were extending Christian fellowship. You had an opportunity to, to explain to us and even repent if you needed to, and you haven't. And now you're doubling down and trying to, to, you know, sort of tear up this, this document that has proven to be quite effective in unifying people uh, doctrinally. I, I think of it as like if someone were looking at the Jerusalem declaration or something, you know, and saying, um, you know, there's here's one of the what nine statements that I just can't abide anymore. And, you know, I happen to have the largest church or largest diocese, right. maybe. And so I'm just, just going to go after it. And I think people like us would say, look, you know, this was a this was a hard won document that is, has been bathed in tears, like Paul's letters to Corinth. And it's not perfect, but it has brought some very disparate voices together in a quite beautiful way. And was uh, no secret, simply, by the way. That's right. That's right. And neither was the was the lead up to it. You know, yeah. it wasn't like this was done 
I mean, sure, conversations were done behind closed doors, but the votes were all public and the document itself is is a standard, you know, one, you know, I couldn't teach at um, Southern Baptist Seminary. I was going to help someone when I knew German better uh, to teach their sort of intro to German class. And um, I couldn't sign off on uh, adult believers baptism, you know, and I said, and it was a part of the Baptist faith, the message, and they just sort of sheepishly apologized and said, well, that's how we keep this place, you know, secure, safe and secure. And even though I know that you're a quote unquote good Episcopalian, I wasn't offended, (laughs) but I wasn't offended in the least, you know, I mean, I was a little bit annoyed just because I wanted to be over there and I thought it'd be kind of cool to help me and blah, blah, blah. But, but in terms of feeling personally offended, I was like, well, we do have a disagreement about that. And I don't think you're not Christians. I mean, I think, but I think we're going to have a, um, and that's what you'd like to see um in a situation like this but instead you know all the right people or all the wrong people who are your perspective are all fired up about what rick warren might be able to do to to finally crack into this um you know monstrous patriarchy that uh, has been subjugating and oppressing women for you know for for decades and and it's just it's the the sort of circling kind of cynical sharks around the SBC is just difficult to watch, you know, particularly someone who, you know, I'm not Southern Baptist and and I couldn't sign the Baptist faith, the message for that reason, you know, the, the baptism reason among others, but um, it's difficult to watch. Nevertheless, this group of people who are just trying to, to maintain some sort of doctrinal unity be blindsided or, or broadsided like this. Yeah, I mean, I wish they would. I wish they would pay attention. I, mean, I wish Southern Baptists would note the trajectory because, because this argument for women's ordination is being made on several several grounds. In the Anglican world, there are some, like say John Stott, who argued that you could ordain women as long as you maintain that understanding of male headship. I just, I, I used to agree with him. I don't agree with. Him anymore. I used to agree with him. But at the very least, we can say about the John Stott position is he's seeking to maintain biblical integrity, right? He's, he's, his, right. His, argument is, his argument was not... He recognizes and affirms the teaching. Right. His argument was not, hey, let's do this for liberation's sake, because we, we, we want to... We, That's right. We're worried about the patriarchy. Let's undo the patriarchy. And he, so his argument had biblical integrity. Um, again, I disagree with it, but there's a difference between arguing for women's ordination on that basis and arguing for it on the basis of prejudice, bigotry, and That's right. uh, and liberation. When you take when you argue for it on those bases, then you have taken a step outside of Orthodox Christianity, and you've taken a step into. Uh, revolutionary ideology, uh, some kind of critical theory ideology, and so when you do that, then then you are on that that trajectory toward being pro LGBTQ at some point in time, because there's no, you've you've already departed from. You know, there's no more boundaries keeping you within within the that's right. within the fold. Um, well, so, that's what we're seeing in ACNA. Like if you're yeah. arguing, if you're sitting down with me and arguing along John Stott's trajectory, you know, even take someone like Ben Witherington, perhaps, or or um, the guy that wrote uh, Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals, I forget what his last name is. You know, there's some there's some serious scholarly works that are getting to the same place that Rick Warren's getting that that deserve, you know, thoughtful consideration. I mean, I hope they're being taught in our seminaries, you know, whether even if it's someone that doesn't agree with them. It's like these are these are, that's an altogether different way of arguing than what you're pointing out, Matt. And it's and it's impossible to have a church that is allowed if 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 you're in the position where you believe the person you're disagreeing with is actually not just um, wrong, but 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 sort of maliciously so, like a, like they're holding to a godless ideology, 
You know, that's what we would, they would yeah. say, uh, well, then you're going to have a really hard time, uh, you know, being in the same diocesan synod, much less the same, um, you know, parish even, or the same deanery. And, you know, that we've talked about this at length before, but this is in part why we're doing this podcast is, is to, is to appeal to, to get these conversations centered around uh, what we have um, so painfully in some ways been able to put together, which is a biblically orthodox denomination that is, is in fact united around our confession of the uniqueness of Christ, the authority of scripture, and, and God's design for men and women. Now, within that, there might be some disagreements about some, some of the um, ways and and shapes that that looks, but fundamentally we do agree that there are differences between, we've talked about differences between the two, uh, roles and responsibilities ordained by God. There are divine mapping over against the family, you know, the household of God, all these things. And we need to be in a denomination that, that shares at the very least that language and that commitment to the authority of scripture, even if one of the there's a leader in the church who has described his position where he is um, he's more to the John Stott side on this uh, than, than others said, you know, well, the, the question of Junia uh, gives me pause. It's like, well, if you know your sort of New Testament debates and all in the light of this, you say, well, that's a thoughtful position to take. You know, there's a, there's a disagreement to be had and there's a 400 page document that the ACNA produced that will explain to you at length about how Junia is to be um to be understood, but to say that you disagree one way or the other on this question, and that therefore you um, you are in, in evil essentially, which is what Bo is, I mean, it can't exist. And I think yeah, that's what we're yeah. watching. That's what the SBC people, SBC people, are appealing to Rick Warren, saying, "Listen, there's no actual unity in mission if we disagree on this issue. Uh, where you know you can go do your mission like you want. You're going to be a different church, but you, you don't ask us to compromise this theological position because." then we don't actually have whatever unity it is you're looking for, even if we're doing the same things. And I think there's a, yeah. um, I think there's a real warning to us going forward as to uh, that we can see in this argumentation, both, both from Rick Warren to be aware of, and then the rejoinders of the people that are trying to resist this change. I think it's worth noting the other side of the pragmatists coin here too, which is that many of these SBC churches and our ACNA churches are empowering women to do great work in ministry. They're not functioning as pastors, but they are in ministry in our churches. And arguments like Rick Warren's are sowing seeds of doubt about what they're doing. Is what they're doing as good as what someone else is doing? Should they be doing something different? And he's actually undermining the good work they are doing by implying that they should be doing different work. Yeah, because the only the only the only valuable thing in the church is a pastor. That's that's basically what 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 this is amounting to. And if you can't have that, if you can't have that role, then you're you're. It's what good are you anyway? <laughs> right. You you you're, you're you're there's some doubt about your imago day. You're like you're you're hardly human. It's it's just yeah that that's 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 right. The, the the pastorate is is an important role in the church, but my goodness, it's it's um, it's it where it's not the most important role in the whole. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think probably that this is where the feminist mindset comes in, and the, not just the feminist mindset, but the but the critical theory mindset, which sees everything as a kind of a power binary. Yeah, and so if you if you see a role in the church that has power, or anywhere that has power then if there's anybody for any 
reason kept out of that role, then there must be some kind of wicked, evil injustice right. going on. Um, so so right. it's, def it's definitely a, a captivity question, a, a philosophical captivity question. These, these, the people who think that way have already have already adopted um, an ideology that's it's violent and corrosive to the Christian faith. So, so yeah, I mean, I think you got, you got to resist that. Clearly, in the scriptures, Paul is very clear about this in First Corinthians chapter twelve that there, there's no part of the body that's that's unnecessary, or the the, the most visible parts of the body are are, are not any more important than the, the, the parts that are less visible. His, his, his whole argument there is, is that God arranges the members of the body, the church in the way that he determines but that but that what but that you're not an eye <laughs> doesn't mean that you're not crucial to the functioning of the body right. the body also needs a nose and an ear and a mouth and a, that's right and, a, and 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 so just you you can't and, and paul's argument there is you, you don't dispute with god about how he arranges the body god well, is, is the arranger this is exactly how i came into because i'm i'm a relatively you know, Laz and I have a have a book we could write sort of, you know, the unlikely complementarians or something, because I've mentioned this before, I think, on this podcast. But if not, you know, we, we were unable to have children for the first 10 years of our marriage. And as a result, was never for I'm not saying you have to have children. But for us, this is just how it worked. You know, I was somewhat indifferent about these issues because it had never been impressed upon me as clearly as it was the moment Laza gave birth that there was a marked created difference between men and women that could not be um, <laughs> sort of spoken away about just in sort of functional roles. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, I could be the, the mothering type person and she could be the fathering type functional. And this, and this is really the outgrowth of like an extreme egalitarianism within the family. Um, and so as we begin sort of having to live into this kind of new reality, somewhat late, having to relearn assumptions and practices that we had developed that, that were sort of more in line with kind of a, um, a functional egalitarianism, just because we hadn't been forced to, to uh, confront some of these created differences, really caused a rather dramatic rethink. I mean, that was eight years, nine years ago now, if you come, she got pregnant. But, you know, and that that puts me relatively recent to the game. But I remember um, having a conversation with someone once who was on the other side of this and, and realizing how far I had come when they were talking about how they were sort of shared parenting, you know, and like so they were kind of offering this idea of, um, you know, both of them were offering something that a father could give or a mother could give. And it was kind of this uh, like this. Um, they were just placeholders, you know, and it was hard not at that point to look at the arguments about, you know, quote unquote, um, uh, homosexual quote-unquote marriage you know and so and or 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 how it wasn't affecting the children because two men could do the same as a man and a woman and all this stuff and it was all starting to get clear and i and i remember you know uh recoiling from that in my family life and then seeing how closely connected that kind of radical egalitarian mindset within the family was just placed over the church in terms of these like this this idea that god just god god just calls random human beings to various functions and roles as opposed to uniquely Puppets. ordaining that's right well it's been it's been a long journey but it's been a you know it, it's been an outgrowth i can speak personally from this the outgrowth of my ecclesiology and theology has worked itself out from my primary calling as a husband and 
and and father um, has worked itself out. And so I say often at our church, you know, the the family is a little church, and the church is a big family. You know, and it's like these are these are the challenges, uh, responsibilities, and and requirements are are similar. They're not exact, but they're very similar in the household of God. And um, and I'm frankly still working that out. You know, I mean, I I um, there's not a day that goes by when I don't feel. Um, the responsibility of what something like headship might require of me before God for the sake of my of my family, and I'm humbled by that, and I'm convicted uh, more often by that than not. And yet, that is part of the design and role that has been given specifically to men within the context of their family. And then that's just the extension of the argument that goes out into the church, uh, which of course doesn't in any way undervalue or um, take away from the incredibly important work of uh, of women. Um, and you're right, Nick, to to imply that it does uh, just sort of devalues the entire system that God has lovingly revealed to us um, and you know, baptized, you know, uh, in the church and through the family for the sake of the world. But I do think I mean, I think in appeal to this, like if we could get we could be part of some sort of conversation that could that could stave off what is, we were watching happen in the SBC in our relatively small little denomination compared to the SBC. That would be a, that would be a. A, a, that would be worth all of this time together because, you know, as I'm, and we've said before, I'm on the board of Trinity school for ministry, which, um, you know, and I make this appeal there uh, and I make it appeal across the ACNA is that if we have been given this, this disagreement um, that ostensibly we all agree with, you know, that, I mean, even if we hold our that ostensibly we are okay with, well, then we need to live into that without undermining our, uh, our witness by, crossing our fingers you know this is what this is what like if if you know we've said this before if, if you can't abide the fact that some diocese ordain women to the priesthood uh, because you think that is an affront before god well you are implicating your eternal soul by your you know your association um and you perhaps should consider that reconsider that and same goes for the other side and you know because people are welcome to you know, is the old adage i'm welcome to take arrows just from the front not the back you know it's yeah. like it's that's, easy. That's, <laughs> yeah, you can be very strongly, you know, like Denny Burke, uh, speaking of Southern Baptists, even he says, okay, this is a, and he's the president of the, the, the council on biblical women, uh, manhood women. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he says, this is a second order issue. Like it's, 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 it's not something that would make someone not a Christian. It might make someone, it might mean that you can't worship together. And I think, and I think the ACNA structure of our diocesan structure um, re- reflects that. I mean, that's why we have affinity dioceses, or one of the reasons, because those who oppose women's ordination probably meet in the same synod together and have the same, uh, all the same forms of worship. But, but, but it, so it's a, it does provide, it does mean there will be some level of division within the church, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to anathematize one another. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that's, um, that's where the that's where the ACNA has ultimately come down, and I think it's the right I think it's the right place. I, I think that um, ultimately we've created a structure in the ACNA where we'll, we're going to be able to have this argument. And I believe because I think that Jesus loves the ACNA, um, I believe that the uh, that argument will one day be resolved, um, and there will be no more wounds or na- or wounds or nation wounds or nation. But um, but but for for now we can we can we can try to lovingly persuade our brothers and sisters who disagree with us. I agree. I think, well, I agree. And I think that the conversation is, is a radical one on either side, um, if done properly and biblically, because, you know, we're actually still appealing to the authority of scripture. We're looking at a creative purpose for men and women, 
you know, outside the church and the home, you know, in most cases, uh, except some of the more the more extreme ones. But at the very least, we're having a Christian conversation in public about a very contentious issue that, um, you know, is roiling the society around us. You know, what is a woman? I mean, the doctor, you know, stuff like this. And to be able to have this conversation as a as Christian people, even amidst disagreement like that is I agree, it's a secondary issue. So we should not we, we should not be questioning people's salvation. But there's a there's a right way and a wrong way to have a conversation. And if we're having a conversation along the lines of misogyny, power, like you just said, Matt, like all those things, then we are we we are betraying our witness to to the Lord. But if we're having it scholarly, prayerfully, devotionally, scripture tradition reason with our Bibles open and our and our hearts softened by shared mercies shown to sinners in Christ, well then there's hope for us. And so that's my appeal, um, that there would be through tears. You know, I have friends of mine who are ordained um, women even that I have conversations with uh, through tears about, you know, the way they feel or the way, um, you know, they, they hope to feel and, and, and vice versa with men who disagree with women's ordination who have been made to feel, you know, like they're this, these monsters. And so it's like, well, we can be a place that can actually have this conversation in public like Christians. And I think that's, that's the only hope going forward. And I think it's a, a viable one. I think it's, I think, I hope that we've provided a, you know, we're not doing it perfectly, but we're trying, trying to model something of this. And, you know, I think you're right, Matt, by God's grace, um, he's going to keep the ACNA together. Um, whether we ever live to see the reconciliation of this, you know, this side of heaven one way or the other, but that's my prayer. And it's, and it's, it's worth fighting for. So we're going to keep doing it. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to Stand Firm this week. That's all the time that we've got. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. 